Wasn't this a fun time together? Like, isn't just worshiping him a gift? Like the, the fact that God would allow us through the blood of Jesus that want, he wants us in his presence to love him and honor him. What's so beautiful about worship is worship, worship is like begins when the nature of God is known. When you know who he is, that's where worship is founded, like the person of God. So when you worship him, you declare the beauty, the glory, the majesty of who he is, and it it keeps those truths relevant in your life and active in your life. I just, I just think it's amazing that we can come into the presence of God and worship Him because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So I'm excited. Hey, uh, did, did we make out okay with the... you able to do that? Can you throw that up? I just feel like, Pastor Yuri, you just get me fired up. You get up here and you share stuff and then things start shooting off in me. So if tonight goes good, praise God. If it doesn't, <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, I'm just messing. I'm messing. It's going to go amazing. There's something about this I want us to see because Pastor was touching on it when he shared it. The room's excited. You can feel the yeah about it. I mean, this like, it, it, I'm going to use the phrase freaks me out. You might like that, not like that, but it just, it just, it just, it just gets me. That, that, and I've been saved 25 years, and it's amazing to me that God would become a man, that he would put himself in the womb of a woman to be born of her to come the way we came. I think about that. Like, I'm like, he's pretty serious about what he's up to and what he wants to do, right? So he has to come as a man. He, has to, he can't just manifest in the wilderness at age 30, buffed in the Holy Ghost and ready for ministry. He didn't like Star Trek into the desert and just pop out from behind a cactus, praise the Lord. Holy Spirit put him inside the womb of a very young girl. They, they believe a teenage girl named Mary. That's incredible that the God of the universe who was and is and is to come, the one that's name above every name, the one that every knee is going to bow, every tongue's going to confess and say, surely he's the Lord. That one, Jesus said, I'll go, Father. Put me in the womb of that woman. I'll lay down my glory, my reputation. I'll come as a man. I'll fulfill what man failed. And then I'll come into your holy place with my blood and I'll put my blood, the blood of a man, yeah. on the mercy seat of heaven and make mediation between God and man so that man has access through me to you and can get back to business in why they're here and why you put them here in the first place. Yeah. Like, don't be in a hurry about that. Like, like, like sometimes, be honest with me, guys. Sometimes in our lives, it's been hard to just go out of our way and do a favor. Or we say, yeah, because we feel like we have to. But after we say, yeah, we're like, oh, man, I wish I didn't. But we do it anyway because we're trying to help a friend. Come on, be real with me. Like there's times we do things that feel inconvenient. And we do it just because we feel like we have to or we should or they're family. And we even say something to our r r wife or somebody like, man, I can't believe i got to go do this, but I'll get it all in. <laughs> Who knows that what I'm saying is true? Inconvenience. The Son of God. Nothing was made, Pastor, that wasn't made through Him. He always was. He always was.
always is and he always will be. He came to the earth and sat inside the womb of a lady for nine months. Ah! Oh! This is more than an Easter Christmas story. Don't get religious. Don't get rhetorical. Don't think, oh, I heard this before and missed this thing. Look, this is where people struggle. But I want you to get this. And I'm going to say it bold and loud. You can hear my voice. I ain't going back down. God must think a lot of who he created man to be. His destiny and his potential to pay that kind of price. Because you don't pay no high price for nothing. And if you wrote the check, you believe what you're getting is well worth what you're paying. In fact, you're two for one, buffet, all you can eat, 50% off. And the truth is, when you write the check, you're sure what you're getting in return is worth what you pay. And it's too late to try to talk me out of this. You can call heresy, blasphemy. Who are we? We're just evil and wicked. No, I was evil and wicked when I didn't know him. But he put a new heart in me. He put a new spirit in me. It's called Holy Spirit. He's Holy Spirit. He's in me. He changed me. He transformed me. Well, what are you saying? You don't sin? You can't... I didn't say none of that. I said He changed the value of my life through the cross of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden I realized His sole purpose for dying wasn't just because I was a sinner. He had to die. My sin cost Him His life. But he did not die because I was a sinner. He died because he wanted to restore what was lost. Yes. So if I stop with just forgiveness, I'll miss purpose. Yeah. Oh, I'm about ready to, thanks. I feel excited right now. I'm down off the thing here again. You guys get me going. You look so vulnerable and hungry. And <laughs> Come on, be real with no pastor in my life, but I just didn't know Yuri. But no pastor in my life ever told me that Jesus died to restore my purpose, my value, and my destiny. They just said he died because I was a filthy, wicked sinner, and I'm always going to be a filthy, wicked sinner, and I ought to be even glad he considers me, and his love's like a mystery, and I ought to just receive him and pray this prayer so that when I die, I can at least go to heaven. And it has nothing to do with nothing. That's not, that has no truth in it. See, because the gospel I grew up with forgave me, but it kept me the same. It forgave me, but it kept me the same. So now instead of being a sinner, I'm a forgiven sinner. And I'm still a million miles from God. And I'm still wicked and nobody knows the heart of man and all this Old Testament scripture and his ways are higher than my ways. Well, he actually says that the things of God, he's revealed to us by his spirit. New Testament. He actually says we have the mind of Christ, that we're seated in heavenly places. Come on, this isn't arrogant. It's not presumptuous. It came from Him. He's the one that declared these things. He's the one that paid for these truths. 
Wouldn't it be amazing if there was something you always wanted and didn't realize how bad you wanted it, but when you got it, you knew you always wanted it, but you didn't realize how bad you wanted it. And when you got it, you were like, whoa, wonder if that came under your Christmas tree. Wonder if somebody gave you a gift on your birthday and it was that kind of gift and you never opened it. I'm telling you that happens in this gospel all the time. Take off the ribbon, tear off the paper, and say, thanks for loving me. Don't talk some falsely humble language. Well, you know, it's amazing he considers me, but stop! That's not humility. That's lack of understanding. Receive is humility. You know what pride does? Pride resists. Pride paints a language that sounds humble, but it's false. Grace just says, thank you. Wow. Yay. Okay. Woohoo. You love me? Woo! You paid your life for me to be forgiven and clean? Woo! Gonna stand clean right now. Yay. How are you going to do that? Believe it. Receive it. Let the blood wash me white as snow. Come on. Sorry I'm so intense. Are you okay? I'm not bothering anybody, I hope. I I think you guys get a little wild anyway sometimes. You can just kind of feel you ready to break out every once in a while. I think, (laughs) oh, there's a few of you. You know what I'm I'm talking about. I pulled the scripture up, or she pulled the scripture up. Thank you. I didn't pull nothing up. She pulled it up. And look, she even used New King James Version, because that's what I quote from. So that's amazing. Look, this is that atonement thing he's talking about. This is once a year. Can you imagine if once a year you had to go and stand in a big huddle, and we all had to think about how sinful everybody's been, and the priest had to go in there risking his life. I mean, he's wearing garments, and there's bells on the garments. There's a rope around his waist. It's true. History tells that and reveals that. He had to go in there, into the Holy of Holies, a man with the blood of bulls and the blood of goats, and walk through a ceremonial service, and if he did anything out of order, if something was unacceptable and outside the box, he would just drop dead. And then there wouldn't be no bells ringing. Believe me, the bells were ringing if he was alive. Because he's in the holy presence of God. And he's just a man. And there is no blood of Jesus. There's just the blood of a bull. Or a goat, which can never take away sin. Man, you say, settle down, you're wrong. You're wrong. 25 years in and I'm this way. Don't tell me, well, you know, you burn out after a while. Well, people calm down. Well, they must have just got saved. (laughs) I just calmed down this much to communicate. I calmed down just enough to speak and make sense. But my heart's singing way more than you see. I'm a very excited man. You ought to see me when I'm alone. Because then I don't have to worry about stumbling you. (laughs) Yay. 
<laughs> oh, we're going to have so much fun. So here's this, here's this thing he's talking about. Could you imagine the next priest in line? Am I telling the truth? There's the next priest in line. If this guy dies, the next guy suits up. That's freaky. They pull this dude out. He's dead. They take off his robe and put it on the next guy. Don't tell me the bells aren't ringing. They're ringing. And he's in there. And all of a sudden, you might... And wait a while, pulling the rope a little, no tug back. <laughs> Harry, Johnny. <laughs> That's what it was. It was atonement. Ah. The bull had to die. Yeah. That's right. The goats, the turtle doves, all the little critters had to die because of man's sin. This sin thing was costing a lot of things. Wonder if you lived in that today, and you're oh, you little animal lovers, you'd probably try to clean up quick. <laughs> well, I used to have four dogs, <laughs> had three cats. I'm down to a hamster, <laughs> and Hammy's nervous, his eyes twitching. Every time I turn on the computer, he stands on the glass and twitches. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Little pop up on the corner of your computer, Hammy's going, no! And all of a sudden, there you are going down into the basement again. That would be pretty bad. That's all they had back then. It was like a covering, it was an atonement. It didn't take away sin. It, it just said, you know, God's still here, you're still His people. There was constantly, constantly, constantly a consciousness and awareness of sin and they knew how far they were from Him. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Every year. So the annual ceremony actually kept that in front of them. It was a constant reminder. Let's just read. For having the law, for the law having a shadow, it's just a shadow of good things. What's coming? Good things. So this atonement, it was just a shadow of something really good. Good things to come. And not the very image of those things that are coming. Just a shadow. And could never with these same sacrifices, bulls and goats, which they offered year after year after year, could never make those who approach perfect. That word means complete. Ain't that something? You're going to find that this is a contrast writing that the writer is saying what the first couldn't accomplish, the second surely could. Yes. So watch. If the first one couldn't make those who approach complete, guess what the second one can do? Very important, church. I know some of you, I know me, grew up in cultures and religious teaching and backgrounds and went to VBS and all that kind of stuff and as kids. But, but, but there was works involved. There was the idea that we're always going to mess up, fail. There was this idea of condemnation and sin. Our parents sometimes would say, well, you just hurt the heart of God. Well, that wouldn't make God happy. Well, how do you make, think you just made God feel? Come on! I'm not that far off here.
So all of a sudden, the thought of being made complete seems unreachable because our identity gets so stained by the lives we lived and the things we've believed. And all of a sudden, the thought of being forgiven is a surface thought. It's nothing that ever becomes real in so many people. Being clean? Are you kidding me? Clean? What do you mean clean? How can I be clean when I still remember where I and remember what I... How can I be clean, Pastor? You're clean through the blood of Jesus. You're clean because the love touches your heart and changes your heart. And all of a sudden, if you could go back and rewrite some things, you would. If you could go back and change some things, be honest with me. Who in here has some things in their history that if you had the possibility, the privilege, and the chance to go back and just do it over again, you would do different than you did then? See? See? So we can change. We can change. Watch. What you did, you can never take away. But who you are can change. So when who you are changes and you stand before God in that day through the blood of Jesus, it won't be about what you did. It'll be about who you became. So you won't get be judged for where you've been. You'll get judged for who you've become. It's the power of the blood of Jesus. And yet I watch Christians live in guilt, condemnation, statements of false humility, almost living as if they have a veil over their face, almost thinking it's heresy to believe they're worth the blood of Jesus to God the Father. Come on, He wouldn't have paid the price if you're not worth it to Him. If He didn't want you, He wouldn't come for you. Why would He call you if He didn't want you? No one comes to Him unless they're drawn by Him. Do you have a desire for God at all? Do you have a remote inkling of desire to know Him? Look, if you have a desire to go near Him, it's because He's drawing you to Him. He opened the door. Why? Because He wants you in His presence. Come on, let's just talk about it and get over this thing and stop blowing all the heresy whistles and living in religion and false humility that keeps us from the power of transformation. I am not ashamed of you and I'm talking with a loud voice. The blood of Jesus was shed to restore our value, to restore our purpose, and to restore our destiny. To get us back to truth, where truth can make us free. And if we see it, we'll believe it and be free the rest of our days. Yeah? Yeah. See, I'm not talking some wishy-washy, well, God knows what you're going to do. Just do it anyway. He'll forgive you, brother. I'm not talking that stuff. That's some other gospel. I didn't find a way to sin and get away with it. I'm not talking some cheap thing and taking advantage of righteousness and just going to go live any way that I decide I want to live and trust God's love in me anyway. Come on. I found a way to be free from sin by reckoning myself dead to it and alive unto God, which is scriptural. Romans 6. How can I stay conscious of sin and keep boasting in my ability to commit it and call it humility and reckon myself dead to it at the same time? You can't. Thank you. Watch this. Can we go to the next verse? For then, would these sacrifices not have ceased to be offered? Would they do it every year? If it was a done deal, would they have to go year after year after year? Absolutely not. For the worshipers once purified, would have had no more, uh uh-oh, here's a goal of the gospel. Ah! If this first thing they were doing was sufficient, it'd have been a done deal. It would have been a wrap. Everybody that knew they were clean and they'd have had no more consciousness of... So if the first 
covenant that they were in doing this wasn't accomplishing that in the second one can, which you'll see in a minute, then the whole purpose of the gospel is to erase you from the identity and consciousness of sin. And probably 80% of Christian teachers call that heresy and it's all through the Bible. Second Peter says he bore your sin and he bore my sin on the tree so that we having died to sin. He's not just talking about the action of sin. He's talking about the identity, the stain, the memory, the effects. That you die to sin so you can live for righteousness. And by His stripes, you are healed. Sounds like He wants you clean. Colossians chapter 1 says that you and I, we were alienated and enemies by the wicked way that our minds worked. And self-centeredness is what it's talking about. Just all about me, all about me, all about me. Even when we say I love you, it usually means I need you for my sake. We prove it when things fall apart. You know how people change and say, well, I don't think I love you anymore. You never did love. You didn't even know what love was. You were convenienced in a relationship, called it love because it benefited you. You changed, they changed, it didn't benefit you anymore, so you called the emotion falling out of love. Love never fails. Love doesn't seek its own. Love takes no account. Not some account. It doesn't consider for a little. It doesn't tell two friends. Love takes no account of the wrong done to it. Now you tell me, friend, how strong we are in this revelation of love because I've seen way too many hurt Christians. I've seen way too many hurt marriages. I've seen way too many people surround themselves with people that understand their pain instead of truth. I've seen way too many let life decide who they are and how they are instead of the one that gives it. Whoever's fought over there that told me to preach because it's getting clear. Come on. Love takes how much account? No account. Then why are we busted up by each other? Why are we still telling the stories? Why are we saying, well, you don't know what they did to me? Oh, no, well, I don't even hang out with them anymore. There. I think that's all an indictment. That's a, that's a hit on us that, you know what? We don't understand love like we say. We just quick to say, love you, I love you. You know why it works? Because people want to believe they're lovable. They want to believe they're loved. So we say, I love you, love you, oh, love you, love you. Oh, love you, oh, love you. <laughs> and we think we're having this big love exchange. I love you is not three words. I love you is a surrendered life that doesn't seek its own. It rejoices in truth, not iniquity. and takes no account of the wrong done to it. That's why you couldn't break Jesus. That's why man could never change him. That's why when man didn't appreciate him, he didn't live as if he was unappreciated. That's why when man did him wrong, he didn't live like he was done wrong. Why? Because he's Jesus? Because he's love. Don't you miss the point? Well, that was Jesus. No, that was love. And he said, follow me. If your answer is that was Jesus, you can't follow. Come on. The goal of our instruction is love. 
Come on, once we're purified, once we're purified, guess what we have? No more consciousness of sin. Why? We were alienated. We were enemies. Colossians 1. I'm finishing the quote. See how Holy Spirit takes me back where I need to be? Only the Lord can do that. I have no idea where I'm at, but I'm right back where I was. You forgot where I was. Wow. Isn't that cool? Alienated. Enemies by the way our minds worked in wicked manner. Yet now he is reconciled through the body of his death. I'm quoting Colossians 1. To present you and me holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Now you're going to let somebody talk you out of that righteousness. You're going to let somebody tell you, well, yeah, but you know, brother, you got to be careful with that kind of preaching because, you know, we just always prone to mistakes and we're always going to sin and you probably got sin in your heart right now. Nope. <laughs> Don't you tell me you ain't heard people talk like that. To present you what? Holy, blameless, and above reproach where? As he's looking. Whew. He's got his eye on you, man, through the blood of his son. And he said, that's my boy. He's pulling out the wallet. <laughs> there he is. Woo! He got you on the fridge. <laughs> Holy. Blameless. Above reproach. He ain't got no beef with you. He has purpose for you. He ain't got no past issue. He's got the blood speaking better things. And his goodness has brought you to repentance and you've changed and he's won your heart. <laughs> so this truth that I'm preaching can't empower him to sin. It actually empowers him to live holy. Because why? He believes he's righteous. And Romans 6 says righteousness produces its fruit to holiness. All of a sudden his conduct changes and he ain't even biting his lip. He's a new man. Woo! Am I talking about him? Am I talking about that man? That's your husband? Yeah. That's him, ain't it? You saw that happen. Oh, I did. Woo! It was awesome, she said. <laughs> ain't that great? You know what's even better? He's got three children sitting here that he can be an example model to. He's got a fourth one cooking right now. <laughs> Woo! Just think Jesus did the same thing. That baby's doing right now. Jesus. Jesus. For nine months did what your baby's doing. Isn't that something? Don't get in a hurry with this thing. Stay with me. He's sitting in there. Doing whatever you do for nine months. He's crockpotting, man. He's getting ready. And her, her water broke just like you mama's water's broke. And here he came right out of her birth canal. The Son of God. The Son of Man. <laughs> he must really want to forgive you. Yeah. He must really want to fill you with his spirit. Yeah. He must really want to redeem and restore your life and get you back on track. He must be intense about it because he didn't open your car door, ladies. <laughs> He sat in the womb of a woman for nine months and gave his life in an unjust manner and didn't deserve to die but chose to die because nobody took his life. He freely laid it down. Why? So he could put that same life inside of you. 
And you're going to let somebody talk you out of that and talk to you about, well, brother, you're always just going to sin. You're never going to be... You know, ah! How can I have that language and believe that I have no more consciousness of sin? Totally contrast. Contrary to truth. Holy, watch, holy, blameless, and above reproach in His sight, if indeed you continue in the hope in which you heard. Well, a lot of people ain't never even heard this hope. So I make sure if they mic me up, I'm going to get this hope out there. It's their fault they mic me up. They'll answer to God. You gave him a mic? They knew what they were doing. Think with me on this. If indeed you continue in the hope in which you heard, considering holy, blameless. So what's he saying? You'll remain holy, blameless, and above reproach if you never change your mind and don't let anything talk you out of it. Especially yourself. How's that? So wonder if every day I wake up okay in Him. Wonder if every day I just wake up clean, accepted. Wonder if I'm not waking up trying not to sin. What is that? Garbage. That's garbage. That's a sin-conscious delusion. You gonna? You think it's holy to wake up and try to do better? Wake up and be better. Be His. Be accepted. Be loved. Be valued. Be a believer. Believer of what? Everything he said and did through his cross. Yes. Believe the finished work and then stand there by his grace and start where he finished so you can run well. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Come on. Man, I wish somebody preached this to me when I was young. They didn't preach none of this to me. They just said, make sure you pray this prayer because if you die unexpectedly, you better be ready. Because you, if you didn't have this prayer in your resume and they find in the files you didn't quote this prayer, you ain't in the book. Yeah. So the only reason I prayed the prayer because I was scared yeah. and I might go to hell if I die. And it had nothing to do with God loving me. It had to do with me being messed up and needing His sacrifice because I'm a messed up boy and if I pray the prayer, at least I'll end up in the right category. Yeah. Anybody grow up with that kind of thinking? Yeah. And then His love's a mystery? And I can't even see His love. And it's not that we love God first, but we see His first love. See, when I read Scriptures like that, it doesn't surprise me that the Gospels have been so masked and, and, and so mysterious because the enemy says, okay, I'll give them bits and pieces and, and I'll get them just feeling like they're indebted to God, feel like they have to serve God, but never let them just see His love and be loved by God. And all of a sudden, we hear every message but. And then when you hear the message, it gets totally criticized by the church. Jesus' only persecutors was the church. There was no unbeliever that persecuted Jesus. The only persecution to Jesus came from the church. And people get mad when you say this. But if Jesus came today, at large, he would not be accepted and worshipped. He'd be crucified in the hearts and minds of men. He'd be all over social media and people would tear him to shreds. 
Because I'm reading His Word on the board. That's not my sermon. Watch, it gets way better. Let's just go there. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin every year. Bummer. So poor little Hammy loses his life and you're not even clean. And your parakeet ain't even chirping because the cage is empty. And you're not clean. And the cat food's still in the bowl because there ain't no more kitties. Bummer. Verse 4. For it's not even possible. It's not even possible. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. That means this other covenant, what? Can take away sin. Woo! Let's keep rolling. Therefore, when He came, who's He? Capital H, He. When Jesus came into the world, He said, sacrifice and offering, this isn't what you desired. It's a body you've prepared for Me. Isn't that fascinating? In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you didn't have pleasure. Why? Because it wasn't getting the job done. Then I said, behold, I've come. He sure has. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. Why'd he come? To do. You got to catch this stuff, guys. Why'd he come? So God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Was it the will of God to send Jesus? Was it the will of God to crucify Jesus? Yeah. Whose plan was it from the foundation of the world? Whew. Isn't that amazing? I love, the, I love the Passion movie. I think it was, it, was, it was not received well from some because they said it was too brutal, but it wasn't even close to the brutality. The, the Passion, Jesus was way worse than what the Passion yeah. expressed. But at the end of the Passion, I'm not criticizing the movie, I just saw it and I went, oh, there's this big tear fell in the puddle when he died on the cross. It has the last thing God did was cry when Jesus was getting crucified. Yeah. Read Isaiah 53. It pleased the Father to bruise his son yeah. and cause his soul to grieve when he made him an offering for sin. Why? Because he knew that he'd get many sons through the one son. Because on the third day, he would flex his power and raise him from the dead yeah. through the spirit of holiness and conquer death, hell, and the grave. He did not cry when Jesus was being crucified. He was celebrating the entranceway of many sons. Yeah. The Bible says it pleased the Father to crucify him. Because he knew through the crucifixion he would have sons and daughters through that cr cross. It pleased the Father to bruise him. Watch. I just happen to believe the Bible so it's not up for discussion. It's not that I need to be right. I just believe the Word's right. So when I find that stuff, you're too late. Like you can't say, well, but... Well, but is how most people live. I'm not a well, you know God really loves you. Well, you know, I know, but sometimes it doesn't seem that real. And I mean, there was times I felt like he loved me, but you know, then I get off and sometimes. Come on, that's the language I hear. For 25 years, I've heard people yell, but, yell, but, yeah, there's no yell, but. If he says, I love you through the crucified son, then guess what? You're going to find one day he loves you. So why not receive it and wear it like a garment? I'm not yelling at you. I'm just yelling. 
I'm not yelling at you. Come on, I'm crying some stuff out. I've heard people yell, but you know what I'm saying. Come on. You don't feel condemned by this. You might have yelled, but you've heard people yell, but you give the clearest truth on the planet and somebody will say, well, yeah, but you don't know what it was like when I was growing up. I ain't talking about that. Why do you need a justification to not believe? What does your childhood have anything to do with now that you're 35 and the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart? Why would you let what somebody said or didn't say way back then stop what he said and did through his son? I don't think we need as much ministry and deliverance as we say. I think we need faith. And I think we just need to believe the gospel and say this whole life was a strategy designed to mar and harden my heart that when good news came, I couldn't hear good. And all of a sudden, what you've been through is the real you. What he's been through is the real you. And that's where you find the truth of your life. And no matter how far you drifted, no matter how bad you feel you ran and went, that blood is still speaking. He still came. He still came out of Mary. He still hung on the cross, and the blood's speaking to this day. It's not, in, it's not contingent on you. It's contingent on him because he's love. And it never failed, and he never changed his mind. On your darkest day, he didn't lose sight of who you're created to be. And the blood is still speaking better things. Are you with me? Come on, this thing is important. I've watched too many people sell cheap when they're not for sale. Just analytically. People say, well, I'm a very analytical person. Stop, that's not a gift. No, it's not a gift. I know I'm touching a few toes here because there's people in here that say that. But let me tell you why it's not a gift. God never gave you the gift to talk yourself out of Him. To make something simple so complicated that you couldn't see no more. To say, I love you through the cross, and then you be so analytical that you make it so complicated that you can't even see God's love after you're done thinking. That's not a gift. Let me show you where it came from. Did God really say you shouldn't eat the tree, Eve? Yeah, God said never to eat the tree or touch the tree, for the day we eat or touch the tree is the day we surely die. Oh, Eve, you're not going to die. Huh? No. Look, God just knows that when you eat the tree, you'll be enlightened. In fact, you'll be just like God. And she... Come on. Analytical came from the garden. Because in that moment, the only voice she ever heard was his. And all of a sudden, another voice spoke contrary to what she heard. And it reasoned, and it compromised, and it deceived. And the more she listened, the more she believed. And all of a sudden, what she knew she was told to never do seemed permissible to do. Analytical. IQ, it's awesome. If you have a 160 IQ, yay for you. That's not a bad thing. Just use it for the kingdom and don't live from your brain, live from your heart. But analytical, not a gift. Came from the fall of man. In fact, Bible colleges are on thin ice because they teach. They say, don't let anybody infringe on your God-given ability to reason and rationale. 
But you have to be careful that your reason and rationale isn't trapped in the wisdom of man in the way that seems right to a man. Yeah. To where you're actually turning life into death and finding a reason not when you have every reason to. See, because here's where we're all at spiritually. Through the blood of Jesus, because of what I'm reading, we're all in the garden as if sin never happened, washed and clean, blameless, holy, above reproach, as if none of us ever ate the tree. Yeah. But watch, the tree's still there, and the voice is still trying to entice. But he says, follow me. Yeah. That's where we're all at spiritually. Wow. We're clean as if we never ate the tree. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. It's in your Bible. Don't fight it. The tree's still there. The voice is still speaking to seduce you into eating the tree. Follow me. That's where we're all at. Watch this. To do your will, O oh God. You can scroll with me now. I'm back to with you. Thank you, kiddo. Previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offering and offerings for sin you didn't desire nor had pleasure in them, which are all offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, oh, don't you love it? I have come to do your will, O oh God. And he takes away the first that couldn't to establish the what? Second. The second that can. Oh, oh my goodness. Go ahead. <laughs> by that will, the second, by that will, we have been set apart. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How much? For how? All. And every priest stands still ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same things they were offering, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. That's what he was talking about. Stirred me. And from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. We'll close right here. For by one offering, he has, he has, he has perfected forever those who are being set apart. Is there any consciousness of sin in that? Is there completeness? Is there holy, blameless, and above reproach? So the just shall live by Can you pull up Can you pull up 1 John chapter 5 for me we got or chapter 1 I'm sorry 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 I got to blow something up quick I don't like this scripture the way it's misused constantly in the body of Christ it's religion. It's religion. It's detrimental to people's lives. It's, it's people taking one scripture and making a whole doctrine out of it when it's not even saying that when it's read in order. People say, well, brother, you know, you say if you have no sin, you know, you deceive yourself and you make God a liar, meaning that we're always guilty of sin all the time. I've had people tell me to my face. They, they argue with me. They, they come and they try to straighten me out. They do. And they say, brother, and I mean, I love you. I'm not mad at you. But, but I just needed to share this with you, and I want you to see this. And, and they come in a way, it's so religious. I'm like, oh, God, I, I just want to cry. And, they, and they'll say these scriptures, and they have no idea what they're saying. Right. And they'll quote them out of context. They'll just quote one-liners. Yep. 
And I'm like, do you know what it says before that? And do you know what it says after? Because I can help you with that. And then I quote it. And then I say, now you're telling me it says that when it says this in front and this in back? Oh, I like when people like. Because it gives me a chance to encourage back. No, really. No, because my heart hurts. I don't get angry at folks. They believe they're right. They're, they're, they're coming to, to align me. Some of them say they're concerned for me because I'm going to get judged. I have people tell me that. No, false teaching is a serious thing, brother. You need to relook at Scripture. Mm-mm-mm. This is the message we have heard from him. From who? Who did we get this message from? <laughs> and declare to you that God is, and in Him is, well, guess where He lives? In you, hopefully. And if not, we can fix that. <laughs> Next verse. If we say we have fellowship, communion, co-union, koinonia, if we say that we're joined with Him and inner coursed and interconnected with him and walk in darkness. That means just a continual practice of darkness, no conviction, oh well, God knows my heart. It says we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, does that sound like a pretty clean and cool place? Does walking in the light as he's in the light sound like a sinful place? Okay, sounds like a pretty lit up place. (laughs) If we walk in the light as he's in the light, guess what we have? Well, of course we have fellowship with one another because we're not condemned, we're not in a closet, we don't have a veil on our face, we're not hiding nothing, there's no secrets, we're out in the light. So we have fellowship with one another because we aren't ashamed of nothing. We ain't in hiding. You know how many people are in hiding? You know how many people when they ain't doing well, they stay away from everybody they know that's doing well? When you're not all that fired up for God and you know somebody that it is, you do not want to run into them at the gas pump. And have to lie. Oh yeah, doing good, man. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Start talking Christianese. And... If we walk in the light as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. What's it do? Jesus Christ, His Son. What's it do? How much sin? Okay, now watch. His blood cleanses us of how much sin? So you were just cleansed of all sin. Right? Now watch the next verse. This is the one they pull out of the hat. This is the one people pull out of the hat. No, no, back up, dear. Uh, Verse 8, you had it right. If we say we have no sin. He just said, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you of how much sin? Okay, so if you say you have no sin, what's he saying? If you say you have no need for the blood. If you say you haven't sinned. Watch. He's not saying you're cleansed of all sin, but if you say you're not in sin, you're deceived. Come on, that's crazy. How can you be cleansed of all sin and identified with sin? Watch, he'll get so clear. If we say we have no sin, always talk about if we say we have no need of the blood. Hey, I can get to God on my own merit. I do good things. I bake apple pies for the neighbor. I even snow blow their driveway, man. I rake their leaves. You know, God knows I'm good. 
I don't need the blood. If we say we have no sin, in other words, no need for the blood, we're deceived ourselves. And the truth is nowhere to be found in us. Verse 9, good news. But if we confess our sins and say, wow, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short. Lord God, thank you, Father, that you didn't mark me for my sin, but you marked me for truth, for purpose, for destiny. Oh, my goodness, Jesus, that you came and gave your life and shed your blood so that I can have your life on the inside of me and be restored and redeemed and made whole. I receive it. God, thank you for washing me clean. That's salvation, guys. Watch. If we confess our sins, he is what? Okay, faithful and just to what? Okay, forgive us what? Our And cleanse us of how much unrighteousness? All. So if you cleanse all unrighteousness, what's left? Righteousness. If you take away all unrighteousness, the only thing left is righteous. So in three verses, you've been cleansed of all sin, forgiven your sins, and cleansed of all unrighteousness. Does that sound like you're guilty of sin right now? No. Does that sound like you should be conscious of sin? No. Watch. Here's what he meant in verse 8 when he said, if you say you have no sin, watch. No, no, that's, yeah, that's verse 8. You can go there if you want. You're good, man. You just went right there. Flip back to 8. Watch. Here's what he's, he's clarifying in 10. Look, here's 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just forgive us, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Verse 10. If we say we have... That means no need for the blood. I've never sinned. What, I'm a good person? What, I don't do nobody wrong? He said in the context of the blood. Watch. If we say we have not sinned, he's not saying a minute ago. Because this is what people tell me when they try to adjust me. They say, brother, you don't understand. We're not at levels of sensitivity of the holiness of God. And we all have sin. We're sinning right now. Probably sinning right now. We just don't even know it. We're sinning while we're breathing, brother. We're always sinning. And I'm like, wow, that's a tough way to live. Sounds humble, but it's deception. So if we say we have never sinned and we don't need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us of all sin and we don't need forgiven of all sin and we don't need cleansed of all unrighteousness, well then we're going to make him a liar and his word is definitely not in us. Now watch the next verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Watch this. Can you do that? Am I asking too much? Chapter 2, verse 1. It's all right. We're patient because this is worth waiting for. You're not under any pressure. 1 John 2, 1. Watch this. This is worth it. Oh, my little what? My little sinners? My little prone to sin, always going wayward, me showing you the right way, and you just got to take the back door. Is that what it says? My little what? That means he's your... So if he's calling you children, he's saying, I'm your father. Oh, you better get this. My little children. Why? Because he said, unless you become like a... So he just, he just going to call you there. Little child. My little children, these things I write to you. Watch. So you... Ah! You can't even talk about that in the body of Christ. But John writes it freely. Come on. In your culture, in your heritage, growing up, who boldly taught you this stuff when you were growing up? Come on. 
And then when you teach it, they want to crucify you, heretic, false teacher. We'll find out someday. I write these things to you that you... Now watch. If that other verses mean what people say, then Paul or John's saying this. Look, I write these things that you may not sin. But don't get the idea that you ain't sinning. And if you say you ain't, you're deceived and twisting. The truth ain't in you because you always sinning, man. That's ludicrous. I write these things so you may... So what's he actually preaching in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 10? He's preaching the revelation of righteousness. He's preaching that you're cleansed of all sin. You're free from all sin. You're cleansed of all unrighteousness. So you can stand right in the sight of God. And righteousness will produce His fruit to holiness. Little children, I'm telling you this so you're free from sin. So you may not sin. Woohoo! Watch! And if, if, not when, not when, all this gets people stirred up. If it's not my sermon, email the Lord. It's not my sermon. These aren't my notes. This is in your Bible if you have one. And if, not when, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. He's Jesus, the righteous. One more verse. And He Himself is the propitiation, which means the mercy for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the... Now make no mistake, the world has to repent. Repent, the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean everybody's okay. It means the provision for everybody to be okay is paid. That's why an unbeliever can be healed on the street if you pray for him. Because mercy triumphs over and nobody's getting what they deserve. Yay. It's right here. I found it. Faith is in my heart. It's a propitiation for our sins. And not only ours, but for the... So the whole world, whether they know it or not, is positioned to become right in the sight of God through the pleading blood of Jesus Christ. Yes. How powerful is that? Let's do one more thing. Are we okay where we're at? You guys getting something out of this? See, because if you don't get this, watch. The veil will never come off your face and you won't have confidence to get alone and be intimate with Jesus. If you have a wrong view of God, you will never get close to God and be intimate with God. Let me just talk real raw with you. If you don't get intimate, you don't get pregnant. You'll never produce anything like the Father. That's not weird. Look, look. If two people get hanging out together called man and wife, and they've been doing something. They've been together. Somebody's getting pregnant and it ain't you. <laughs> Somebody's getting pregnant. When two people are becoming intimate together, sooner or later, somebody's getting pregnant. Oh, you go, girl. Fourth time around. You've been doing something. <laughs> so watch this. Spiritually, you come along, you get along with the Father. You've been with Him and who you've been with. All of a sudden, everything that comes out of your life looks like you. 
People look at children and say, oh, you look just like your daddy. Oh, you look like your mama. Oh, you look, oh, I can see your daddy's eyes. Oh, I can see. You can have a child. It don't matter how mad they get at their parent. They say, that ain't my daddy. That ain't my daddy. Are you kidding? Look at you. Look at him. That's your daddy. You know what I mean? Look, you get along with God and the seed of who he is comes into you and all of a sudden everything you give birth to looks like it's father. That's what it's all about. And it's called fruit unto the Lord. It's fruitfulness. And in this, the Father's well pleased that you bear fruit and, and that your fruit remain. And if you bear fruit, He's going to prune you so you bear more fruit. How this gospel turned into a survival kit, save me, protect me, provide for me. This thing is all about bearing witness of His name. It's all about manifesting Him. It's all about walking in truth. It's all about ministering Jesus. This thing is not a survival kit. It's a transformation of life. So He's not forgiven just our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Can we do one more thing quick? Can we go to Romans chapter 6? Can you bear with me and do that? You're doing so good. Isn't she doing awesome? She's doing awesome. She didn't need to hand clap, but she earned it. That's for sure. No, you're doing amazing. Because I'm actually hard to work with on this stuff. Because I get reading and then I get preaching and they're like, Okay, the reason he's asking this question because he ended the last chapter with a verse like this. He said, where sin abounded, grace did abound what? Not more. Much more. That's all good. I just want that word in there. Grace did abound how much more? Much more. Okay, so where sin was, grace came. So Paul said, hmm, I know what people will think when you write this stuff. All of a sudden, where I'm sinning, grace is abounding. Ooh, I guess God's cool with sin. It'll just keep His grace on my life. Yeah. There's yeah. people teaching that. Yeah. But Paul dealt with it. Yep. Don't you teach that? No, you know that. <laughs> he would never teach that. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Watch this. Certainly not. Now watch. This is what people aren't taught when they get born again. People are taught that they're born again so if they die, they go to heaven. That's all people are taught. That's the main push of the Christian church in the earth is if you die tonight and don't know where you're going, pray this prayer. Watch. And they never realize that they're dying to sin. They never realize they're dying to self. Watch. Certainly not. How shall we who... I know countless Christians in the 25 years I've been saved that have no belief in that they died to sin. They still talk about it. They're still trapped in it. They still get condemned over it. They still identify with it. They still remember it. And they stay stained by it. And that's a dilemma because their hearts are touched and they actually care now. So that's torment. And it's called condemnation. Because you can't condemn somebody that doesn't care. It's impossible to condemn somebody that doesn't care. It's impossible to be guilty and live guilty and ashamed if your heart's not alive on the inside. And yet the devil deceives people and keeps them believing that they're all so bad when their heart's crying inside. Yeah. Come on, that could be you here tonight. I'm telling you, that's a trap 
That's a lie from hell. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? That's its identity, its stain, its sting. Watch. Watch verse 3. This is why I, I, I get intense about just, just making the motive going to heaven. Because Paul says, do you not know? Do you not know? Well, honestly, a lot of us don't know. Do you not know as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Now, I'm not being mean. I'm being real. I'm teaching tonight. If I ask Christians what baptized into His death means, I wouldn't get a lot of answers. So if you are baptized into His death, you have to know what that means to walk in the benefit of that. And if you can't answer what baptized into His death is, you won't walk in the benefit of being baptized in His death. Because He's saying, don't you know this? Do you not know that as many of you that were baptized were baptized into His death? Keep rolling with me, girl. Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of His death, there's three verses in a row that He said it. Three verses in a row He said we're baptized in the likeness of His death. We'll see what it means in a second. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. So it ain't just all about death, it's about life. But you can't live unless you die. Ain't that something? Knowing this, second time you better know. This second time you better know. That our old man, who I used to be, who I was, who I remember, who everybody else remembers, who people gave up on, who I gave up on, that old man, he was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be a slave to sin. I looked that word up, slave. It means chained and bound to serve one's will. I'm no longer chained and bound to serve the will of sin. Woo! See, I've done my homework. You just ain't talking me out of it. The worst you can do is crucify me and I ain't going to die. Just keep going. It's getting better. Uh-oh. See, I don't know about he who's prayed a prayer to go to heaven. I don't know about that. I, I don't preach that. But he who has died. This is Bible, not my notes. He who has died has been What? Uh-oh, wait a minute. But brother, you're always going to sin. You're never free from sin. You're sinning all the time. What are you saying? You're perfect? You don't sin? Come on, man. Come on. Why are you contesting that? God said it. I was never taught this stuff in my whole life. I saw it in my bedroom when I was crying and asking God to reveal His Word to me because I said there's so many people saying so many things and it's never made me free. I said, God, you better show me the truth. I've got to know the truth. And all this stuff just went. And for 25 years, can you tell there's passion in me? Can you tell that I'm intense about it? 25 years in, it ain't old. It's fresh. Because I'm clean. <laughs> Yay. He who has died is what? Oh, don't be afraid to say this. It's not blasphemy. God's not a blasphemer. You can say it. Freed from... Next verse. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with Him. That's good news. 
Verse 9, knowing, third time you better know, knowing the Christ, having been raised from the dead, He dies no more. Death has no longer has dominion over Him. Now, He's going to explain the baptism of His death right here. This is the baptism of His death. Watch. For the death He died. This is, the, this is what you were baptized into. The death He died. Oh my goodness, look what He died to. He died to sin. That means it's stain, it's power, it's memory, it's condemnation, it's mark. He died to sin. How many times? Once for But the life He lives... He lives to God. Look at verse 11. Making us one. Likewise, you, you also reckon yourself dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, you can't miss that. If I wake up every day trying not to sin, trying not to sin, I'm so sin conscious, I'm so aware of failure and in my own strength and works, I'm pitiful. But if I wake up every day reckoned dead to sin, alive unto God, righteousness has its perfect effect and fruit in me and produces holiness, and all of a sudden I'm walking in Him and walking with Him and my face is unveiled and I'm empowered by the finished work of Christ. And then what I am, I am by the grace of God. So I don't get any credit. I just get humble and I love Him all the more because there's no trophies in heaven. We cast our crowns. Yeah? Yeah? There ain't no super Christian. We're believers. And if I'm guilty of one thing when I stand before the Lord, all I want it to be, man, is I believed. <gasps> yeah? There ain't no super Christian. Dan, you're just such a... No, I ain't going to be up there. Mm, with a big cape flowing, SC, flashing. I'm going to be humbled and broken and falling at His feet because... I am what I am by the grace of God. And if He didn't do this, we couldn't become this. Yeah. If He wasn't love, we have no hope. Yeah. If He didn't forgive, we're guilty. Yeah. That should do something on the inside of our hearts, man. Yeah. Are you with me? Look, likewise you. This is the invitation. Talking to you! Yay. Reckon yourself dead indeed to... Yeah, but brother, you're always going to sin. What are you saying, man? You've got to be careful with that language because you know you're always sinning. There's sin in your heart, man. I mean, you know, you can't be perfect and pure. Nobody. What are you saying? You don't sin? That's what people say all the time as if they don't know what the Bible says or to prove they don't believe what it says because we let our human experience trump the grace of God that's in position to change our lives. We allow our human experience to be greater than His promise. So we don't release faith in His promise because we have faith in our resume. Wow. Come on. Dead to sin, alive to God, in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how you wake up every day, my friend. You never let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. So that means you wake up every day. Father, I just thank You. You love me. I thank You. You're so for me. God, it's so amazing to be washed in the blood and clean in your presence of access to who you are. Thank you that who you are is on the inside of me and that's what comes out of me in my everyday life. God, I just thank you for multiplying yourself in me and multiplying yourself in others. I so appreciate your love for me. That's called prayer and communion with God. You just wake up that way, clean, holy, blameless, above reproach, unveiled in the presence of God. 
You're not waking up trying to do something right. You're waking up because something's been done right. And all of a sudden you're being, not doing. And in right being, you're empowered to do everything you're created for. Yeah? Yeah. Do not, do not present your members. Don't see your members. Don't present your members. Don't give your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Come on. The way you see yourself in the morning, the way you value yourself, the way you evaluate yourself, and what you see when you look in the mirror is what you'll manifest through the day. Don't present yourselves as members of unrighteousness. Don't believe your sin waiting to happen. Don't believe your failure waiting to happen. Believe your sons and daughters in the making. That there's an army rising up in us. Yeah? I'd do that in a mirror, man. When I first got saved, I'd be brushing my teeth. I'd say, you go, man. Dude, you're awesome. I see Jesus in you. You say, that's blasphemy. What do you mean you're awesome? I think God thinks enough of me to send his son before the foundation of the world to give his life to get me back. I think Jesus thinks enough of me to get on that cross and die unjustly and raise from the dead to put his life in me. I'm not taking that lightly and I'm not afraid to talk about it. I think it's the goodness of God if I read my Bible clear that leads men to change, not the judgment and reprimand of God. He says, well, it ain't all about love, brother. It's judgment too. You show me one scripture that tells you the judgment of God transforms a life. But I can show you his goodness does. So I'm going to camp in his goodness. You can stay in his judgment if you want. No, I'm not being smart. You can. But I'm going to stay in his goodness. Because I found that his goodness leads me to change, not his judgment. And if my Bible says I don't love God first, but I see he first loved me, no wonder this message has been so deceived and people can't see his first love. Because that way they can never respond in love. They just feel indebted. And watch this. If you don't have intimacy and relationship with God, you'll get reduced to serving God. And you'll do things for Him instead of live your life in Him. And you'll be a servant. And He said, you're not a servant. You're a friend. He said, you're a bride, not a concubine. let that sink in so don't present yourself this way but present yourself but present yourself that's the only way but's permittable when it's a but the Lord but God but present yourselves to God as being alive from the man that's you waking up in the morning oh my goodness Lord you put so much life in me man I used to have this desire and that desire and this regret and this memory and now you know what I'm just excited that you love me that you wash me that you forgive me Holy Spirit I so welcome you and thank you that you would live inside of me today can only be awesome that sure beats letting life decide who you are and how you are that sure beats letting circumstances define you and then you cry out to God for help because you're ruled by other things That sure beats letting what somebody says that you need to say the right thing and they say the wrong thing and now you're justified in being crushed because you don't understand the truth that really makes you free. So you live in a very fragile world and unless everything goes the way you need it, you can never be okay. What a bummer. I don't see Jesus living in that world. I see Jesus mistaken, (laughs) forsaken, mistaken, (laughs) dished on, wrongly treated, 
worse than any man ever could be or will be, and I see him change not. I don't know about you, but I love that. And I'm going after that. And I want to follow him. I don't just want to sing to him, and I don't just want to pray to him when I'm in need. I don't want to turn him into my genie in a bottle. I want to follow him because he's my model for life. And he said, when you see me, you have already seen him. And he said, follow me. You with me? Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So don't tell me it's not possible to live in righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under the law, you're under grace. That means even if you slip into something from former days, it's not your intention, it's not your will, it's not your purpose. So when you go, oh, and catch it, whoever just found themselves in mid-stride in a thought, in an attitude, talked to somebody and realized it came from a place that it doesn't ever have to come from. Uh, who found themselves just, just slipping into something going, oh, right in the moment or even after the fact. And you're like, duh. Yeah? That's when sometimes people that charge are good fall into condemnation and run from God instead of run to God. Yeah? You're not on the law, you're under grace. Now he's not saying, hey, just go ahead and whoop it up, man. You're not on the law anymore. Grace got us covered. He's not talking about that. I was in a service like this preaching and preaching and I was talking about sin and stuff and this young man right in the middle, he raised his hand real high and I said, what's up, buddy? You got a question or comment? He said, I got a comment. He said, you don't, you need a revelation of Christ. And I was the guest speaker and it was pretty funny. And I said, wow, that's interesting. I said, help me understand what you're saying. That's a pretty incredible comment. He said, well, you don't understand Christ or you wouldn't be talking about sin. And I said, I'm still not following you. Clarify a little more what you mean so I can track with you and I can maybe possibly respond. He said, well, it's not even about sin. He paid the price to forgive sin. Like, you shouldn't even be talking about sin. Like, God forgives. And I went, oh, I think I know where you're going. In other words, we're, don't, we're doomed and damned to sin. We're always going to sin. So just live your life the way you live your life and it'll all work out in the end because he was good enough to shed his blood and we'll all be covered in the end. Exactly. I said, could you all turn your Bibles to Romans 6? And I said, how could we continue in sin when we died to it? And he stood up vehement and said, I'll not be brought under this kind of legalism. Wow. And he was screaming. And he just stormed out of the church. It was a very small church. I looked at the pastors and I said, and they had tears in their eyes. And I said, sorry, I know things are small. I didn't mean to run anybody out, man. And this young girl ran to chase him. Ooh, she's crying. I said, honey, I don't know if it's in your best interest. I don't know if your motive's even right right now going after him. I, just second guess it. I'm, not, I'm in, in charge of you, but I would encourage you to reconsider. And she went back to her chair. They told me that they just had counsel with him because he's been coming to the church. Regular marijuana smoker, living in fornication and spends most of his time in the bar, but he comes to church and wants to talk about God with everybody. And he's not even probably born again at all and has a theology that, hey, you're going to live the way you live. God's sent His Son to cover us no matter what. So when I challenged it, He didn't want change, so He got vehement and yelled at me and walked out of the church. It's tough. You don't want that response. That, Paul knows, people are going to try to interpret that that way. So guess how he responds? Verse 16. Do you not know that who you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey. So when he says, should, you know, you're not under the law, you're under grace, right? 
So what he's saying is, so should we continue in sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Actually, that's the next. Back up a minute. Were we, where were we at? Did you even miss a verse? Okay. Yeah. What then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Okay. I'm sorry. I just want to make sure we're clear. Verse 16. You were right on the... Do not, do you not know, that's the fourth time, do you not know that whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you're that one slave whom you obey. So whatever you believe about yourself is what you'll serve. And what you believe about yourself when it's negative, your survival instinct will try to draw the answer from others. And that's why people are so hurt and let down and bitter. Because people aren't feeding their need. And people are actually proving their worst fears by their actions. And all of a sudden you're looking to others for your answer instead of Him. Are you with me? Come on. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you're that one slaves whom you obey? How you see yourself is how you'll live. Whether sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Next verse. But God, be thanked that though you were a slave, held captive, bound and chained to do its will, sin, yet you've obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Now do you see why I take the time to preach this stuff? Because Paul's assuming this doctrine was delivered because he knew he preached it. And I guess he's assuming that when he writes this, well, he's probably not thinking ahead in this. We're thinking, okay, it's a form of doctrine. We should all grow up with this. Did we grow up with this? In fact, many of us in this room, if you were honest, were told the total opposite of this. God be thanked, though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So I want to make sure I deliver this doctrine. Verse 18. And have, oh my goodness, this is the second time. Look what the Bible says. And having been what? Oh, don't be afraid of this. Come on, this feels good. And having been what? Set free from sin. Guess what you became chained and bound and held captive to do its will to? <laughs> So your only identity to serve is right with God. That's your only option. You're bound and chained to serve the will of being made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, I hope you're excited about that. Nobody ever taught me this. The Bible did. The Bible did. I just started reading it apart from every man's opinion. Just got alone and wanted to know the truth. Just ask Him to teach me. And all of a sudden the thing jumped. And once you see it, you look in your Bible and it's everywhere. You become a slave to what? So you're bound and chained to serve the will of righteousness. You know what Jesus rules His kingdom with? A scepter of righteousness. You know that the whole power of the gospel hinges on the righteous judgment of God that He made wrong things right. See, you and I lived in right and wrong. We lived in rightness. God lives in righteousness. The difference is, you're wrong, I'm right. You're right, I'm wrong. Righteousness makes wrong things right. Righteousness doesn't just come and judge the wrong. It actually exposes the wrong in order to make the wrong right. You get it? 
And he rules his kingdom that way. And you bow before him and he knights you righteous and you stand before the Lord washed in the blood clean. Because you're a believer. Watch this. And having been set from sin, you became a slave to righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members slaves to uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves bound and chained to righteousness for what? Holiness. Holiness. This is crystal clear, guys. For when you... No, you can go to the next verse. For, for when you were a slave and bound and chained to sin to serve its will, you were free in regard to righteousness. 21. What fruit did you have in the things which you're now ashamed? Man, the end of those things is death. But now, third time, watch. Now having been... He's trying to get a point across. Little redundant, Lord. Nope, I think he needs to say it over and over and over. But now having been set free from and having become a slave of, you have your fruit to and the end of that holiness. How clear is that? Come on, that's just the gospel. Isn't it? So this is what I want to encourage y'all in. 8.20, we started at 6. I'm going to be a good boy. I'll, get, I'll be done here. We're actually amazing time tonight. This is good. Feels like I was preaching a long time. Though. You feel that way or are you okay? No, we're good. I feel like I've been preaching forever for some reason. Probably because I just never really stopped today. I don't know. Listen, it's not cool. For you to sit in a service like this and walk out of here feeling less of yourself than the blood says. You can't let your past actions rob you from faith to believe that God can transform your life or change your life. That, that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, that He loves you and sees a higher calling and a higher destiny and a higher purpose for your life. I'm telling you this straight up. Condemnation is never, ever, ever God. And it seems to be one of the easiest things for people to slip into. And the only reason is they feel like they're failing in what they care about. Guilt, condemnation, and shame are the three major tools of the devil. They're never, ever, ever used by God. He doesn't subcontract the devil to use those tools. No, let me teach you this. You know what guilt is saying? Guilt is a confession. When you believe you're guilty, when you live guilty, what you're saying is, I'm not forgiven. When you live condemned, what you're saying is, my, my life is worthy of judgment. When you live ashamed, you know what you're saying? The thing I'm ashamed of is still who I am. I met a lady in my office who came to a healing service who was dying of HIV, it turned into AIDS. She was 106 pounds. She was a six foot tall lady. 106 pounds, six foot tall. Pretty thin. She didn't look well and all her friends were saying, what's wrong with you? And she said, I'm fine, but you're so thin. Thin's good. She was ashamed to tell her friends she had HIV. You know why? She's a church girl. She's 50 years old. Something snapped when she turned 50. She didn't feel like a woman. Just amazing what happens to people when they live out of fellowship with God and how earthly things matter so much. 
And all of a sudden, she didn't think she had it anymore. She didn't think she could turn the men's heads. You don't want to turn a man's head anyway, ladies. Come on. Come on. Why do you want to turn a man's head and draw his lust? And you're crying out for somebody to love you, and you're busy getting them to lust you? And men, what are you doing anyway? Be bigger than that in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I'm feeling this thing. I'll probably get out a sword, buddy. <laughs> I'll behave. I'm, I'm calming down. I'm calming down. Don't get nervous, Pastor. She came to a healing service in secret. She comes up front for prayer. I prayed for a couple people. It was back in the day when I did two public healing services a week. I prayed for everybody. I preached. I got on a roll and I just started to pray and flow. Holy Spirit started to correct me about that because everybody makes you the healer and comes to you. And then they knock on your door at all hours and they pull up at your house and they stalk you. <laughs> but the Lord said to teach and train, equip and get people involved. So I did. But in that day, it was just me there and the Holy Ghost and that's plenty. And she come up front, Rose standing there, and I come down and I'm praying and I get to Rose. And it was just one of them Holy Spirit things. You just sniffed it out in the Lord, you know. I'm like, I said, honey, what's going on in your blood? What's wrong with your blood? She went, she got horrified. She said, ah, ah, and she just flat out lied to me. She said, ah, diabetes. Well, I, I have a thing against diabetes. I have a thing against any sickness, but diabetes is, a, ugh, I don't like it. I watched it ruin my aunt's life and kill her young, and I didn't know Jesus. And it made her suffer. I've seen a lot of diabetes healed in my life. I, I don't like diabetes. In fact, if you have the, the diagnosis of diabetes, stand up, we'll just pray right now. Anybody that has diabetes, stand up, we'll pray right now. Stand up. Anybody. Come on. Why would you sit? There's a couple more. Come on. There's two or three more. Stand up if you have the diagnosis of diabetes in your life and you're taking insulin or something. Somebody's holding out on me. Okay, good. I, still, I'm, I think I'm waiting for one more. I'm, I'm feeling aggressive. Stand up. Why would you sit? Jump up. Yeah. Did they stand up? Did I get them? Who? Who do I need? I'm not getting a release yet, so I'm believing you're still sitting. There's somebody sitting that has diabetes, or is it a child that I'm not aware of, or a parent needs to get the point to their child? Okay, you can stand for your grandson, but that per the person I'm talking about is in the room. Is it you? Oh, it's your wife? Where's she? She walked out on my great preaching? Well, then she's not included. She's <laughs> so your wife, it's your wife, and she, she was out in the bathroom. See, I knew there was one. Now, isn't this cool? No, watch. Watch, this ain't a game. No, I need you to stand up. This ain't a game. Look, you get perceptions and you know that you're right. And you get aggressive. Because you know and you ain't going to back down. And, and watch this. I got plenty of people standing to pray, but God's saying ain't everybody standing and I'm waiting for her. She's in the restroom. Ain't that sweet? Pretty cool to know him, isn't it? Oops. We're going to pray for you right now. You don't have to do anything. Just believe he loves you, okay? It doesn't matter if you've been prayed for a thousand times. This is a different time. We're just going to believe right now, okay? So stretch your hands to somebody. Somebody stretch your hands to somebody. You don't have to smother them and get all around, but just stretch your hands. And we're going to believe for her grandson because a grandmother with faith jumped to her feet in proxy and said, my grandson. That means you're a believer. You're believing God can touch him from here. You know it, don't you? 
So, Father, we just thank you right now. Diabetes, you leave every symptom, every trace, and every person standing and in that grandson alike. Father, we just thank you for the power, the finished work, and the blood of Jesus Christ. Diabetes, you leave their bodies in the authority of Jesus' name. Pancreases, you work. Proper insulin, proper balance of sugar. In Jesus' name, let change come to every person's numbers and every person's body. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And we just thank you for it. Amen? And amen. Okay. There's authority in that. That's good. Okay, just grab your seat quick. Let me finish this wonderful story. Okay, so she said diabetes. Well, because I don't like diabetes, and I took her serious, and I believe she told me the truth. I attacked diabetes like, hoo-ha. I pulled out samurai tongues. I just, hoo-ha. We nailed that thing. I said, well... I know one thing. She didn't end up having it, but I thought it ain't never coming. It's scared. We scared it off for life, man. So, so, because I mean, I, I attacked it like she had it because I believed her. But she didn't have diabetes. She, she was a precious black lady from the city, right? She loves the Lord, but she got in trouble. She's 50 and she lost sight of womanhood and in Christ, she got in this midlife goofy thing, right? And she started to sleep with a couple men to make herself feel like she's still a woman. Yeah. When they were attracted to her, she believed, and they don't, that's what women don't understand about men. Men don't, men don't need to be attracted to you. Most men just got issues. And just because they want you doesn't mean it's because you're all that. It means they got issues. <laughs> I'm just talking plain and straight. Because I lived there once. And I know I lived there once. So she slept with a couple men just because if they wanted to function with her, she felt like she still had it, she was still attractive, made her feel like she was still a woman, yet it was a cost to it because it violated her conscience, but yet she had the need and the... So she slept with several men. Well, in the process, guess what happened? HIV says, hmm, look at this girl, church, little church girl, sleeping around, and that thing came and bit her like a viper. HIV just bit her like a viper. And bitter for keeps. Came to judge her. Now guess what? She comes to a healing service and I sniff out in the Holy Ghost. Just like I knew there was, we were waiting on one. I said, what's going on with your blood? Oh, diabetes. Diabetes, you let her go. You come out fire, God. There wasn't no diabetes. I was praying to the air. She come to my, she come to my church two days later. Two days later, she come walking in the church. Receptionist rang my phone and said, there's a lady here who would like to see you. I peeked out the window and I saw Miss Rose. I said, tell her to come back. I said, yes, I remember her from the healing service. She come walking in. She's trembling. Precious lady. She's trembling. I said, what's going on, girl? I remember you from the other day. You okay? She said, I lied to the man of God. I lied to the man of God. I just lied to the man of God. That's what she started saying. She was like, she said that like six, eight times. I said, whoa, you got me all messed up. What are you talking about? You lied to the man of God. She said, I told you I had diabetes. I ain't got diabetes. She said, but you knew something was wrong with my blood. You were man of God. I said, why'd you lie? She started crying. Ooh. Girl, tell me why you lied. Ooh. 
She said, I've been a Christian a long time. I serve in my church. I slept around with a few men because I turned 50 and I lost sight of womanhood and I felt like if I slept with a few men, I'd feel like a woman again. I felt like nobody wanted me. I felt like I didn't have it no more. And I said, what? She said, yeah. Then I got AIDS. And now it's killing me. I said, nobody know? Did you tell anybody that nobody knows it? She said, I ain't told nobody. You're the first person that knows I got AIDS. I said, you didn't even tell her like your best friend? No. I said, well, I ain't even praying for you. I'm a good pastor. <laughs> I said, I ain't praying for you. She said, well, excuse me. She's thinking she's coming in for prayer, secret, <laughs> sneaking in, going to tell me, and I'm going to lay hands on her, and she's going to walk out of there. <laughs> I said, I'm not praying for you. I said, because AIDS isn't killing you. Shame is. Shame's killing you. I said, here's what you need to do. You need to leave this office and go tell your best friend. I said, do I know your friend? She said, you probably do. I said, who's your best friend? She told me your name. I said, that's your best friend? Oh, I better be praying. I said, that girl's going to slap you down and then say, <laughs> she's going to slap you down and say, girl, why didn't you tell me? And then she's going to cry and pray for you. But she's going to slap you down first. I got to pray for you because I knew her friend. She's going to be like, you what? You didn't tell me all this time, girl? Ooh, I love you. <laughs> I said, you go right from this office and you find her or someone and you tell them what you did. It's James 5. You confess your fault one to another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. You confess this thing. You tell them shame's been killing you, not HIV, but you need healed from HIV. And you ask them to lay hands on you and pray in the mercy of God. She said, yes, pastor. She got up and left my office. I don't know if you know this, but when you're diagnosed with HIV and you get a negative test, they test you three months in a row. They won't say you're negative unless you test negative three months in a row. So in 90 days, they test every 30 days. Negative, negative, negative. If they get the third negative, you don't have HIV. You get what I'm saying? So guess when she walks in my office? After three months, she comes walking to my office. She was 106 pounds in my office. When she walked in my office, guess what she weighed? 153 pounds, her normal weight. Healthy and just as good as could be. She came in and said, Pastor, I said, talk to me, girl. She said, I had her pray for me. And God was merciful. And, and I brought this thing upon me, but I was living in shame, like you said. And when I confessed it and she prayed for me, this thing broke off my life and all the symptoms went away and I started putting weight back on and, and all of a sudden they tested me three months in a row and it's negative, negative, negative. And they said, we don't know what happened, but you don't have HIV. Come on. Yeah. Why did I tell you that testimony? Because you can't afford to live in this room, live in this room after hearing a message like this and walk out of this room and carry any level of shame in your life. Look, if you're sorry for where you've been, if you're sorry for what you've done, then be sorry, but receive the mercy of God. Receive the forgiveness of God. Receive the justification of God. Yeah? I used to do an order call all the time. I haven't done it for a long time. I'm not going to do it tonight. But I'm just going to pray over this, this house. Look, if you, I'm not asking you how you identify yourself. I feel really good about this. I usually get everybody up here. If you, if you brought something into your life through misconduct, through 
illicit living, if you, if you have a blood disease, if you have a hepatitis, if, if you cut yourself with razor blades in a dark season of, of despair and you marked your flesh and, and now you're sorry that you did that, you're sorry because, not just because you have a symptom, but because you see it for what it is and you know it wasn't your answer. And if you know you could go back and do it over, you surely would. Yeah. Something different, not over, something different. Well, then you're no longer the person that did the thing in the sight of God. Like if you slept around and you were just a girl and you were trying to find, and you put your little purity ring on in youth group, but you were trying to find acceptance and you slept with some young boy. And then after you slept with that boy, you thought, well, maybe, and you slept with some other boy. And then all of a sudden, all this stuff bombarded you and you haven't been right with God since. Listen, and then all of a sudden this symptom come and now you got some in your blood and they're saying it's incurable or it's herpes or it's something. Man, I'm telling you, the gospel is so much greater than all that story right there. What a young girl needs to do is say, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? I knew better, but I mustn't have known better. I went where I never called to go, but I went there and God, forgive me. That is not who I'm called to be and I don't need that false sense of security and I don't need that kind of acceptance. God, I just thank you for loving me and washing me and making me clean because if I could go back and do that night over and that other night over, man, you know I would do it over. I would not repeat the same thing. I would do a different thing. God, you've changed my life. See? So, so watch. If mercy triumphs over judgment and God won't judge people for where they've been, then why is where they've been judging them? And if old things pass away and all things become new, then why doesn't that thing leave and something new come? You with me? Oh. So if you're sitting in your chair, I don't need to know who you are and nobody else needs to know who you are. If you're sitting in your chair and you got some kind of thing going on from past practice, you got some kind of HPV or you got some kind of herpy thing or you got, I was in a service, this lady had the grossest case of genital herpes three specialists said they had ever seen. 24-7, never lightened up, covered vaginally with, her, uh, with, with uh, warts, genital warts, and 17 years straight. Slept with a boy when she was 17. Wearing her little purity ring from youth group. Said she'll never give herself to a man unless it's her husband, but she was sure he was going to be. So she said, oh, well, well, we'll get the cart ahead of the horse. And she said after they slept together, everything changed and they broke up. Trouble is, he had slept around before and she ended up with genital warts. Profuse case, 17 years. Now she's 34. She's up at the altar. I'm preaching like a madman. She's up at the altar. I don't know why she's there. She's just weeping. Why? She's covered with vaginal warts. She has never had a boyfriend for 17 years because she didn't want to bring him into that and expect him to jump the hoop. Yeah. So she decided, I'll let Jesus be my boyfriend. But I sure would love to be a wife and I sure would love to be a mother. But I blew that when I crossed the line. So for 17 years, she's living in the condemnation and the judgment of her sin. Now she's standing up here at the altar after a message like this. And I have no clue what I'm doing. I just know what I believe and how it works. And I just start praying for people and I pray for her and it's quick and I just keep going. She gets to the threshold of her apartment, to the door jam, open the door. Presence of God comes on her and says, don't be afraid to look at your body and see what I've done. She runs into her home, her apartment, and she inspects her body. 17 years, completely, profusely, grossly covered. Not one single wart on her body. 
She's bawling. She's crying. The love of God's ravaging her. She's in her bed just woo. She drifts off to sleep just for a little and wakes up and thinks, surely this is a dream. She inspects her body again. Woo. She comes into church in the morning. She can hardly function. She gets pastor, pastor's wife, and me pulls us in a room and tells us the testimony. And then she looks at me and says, thank you for preaching the gospel. Thank you for giving me Jesus the way you understand him. She said, who knows? Perhaps now I can have a husband and perhaps now I can be a mother. Ah! Yeah. Oh, he's a redeemer. Yeah. He redeems. Come on. You know, religion says, well, she shouldn't have slept with that boy. Her heart's broken. She can't go back and retract the thing. If she could change it, she would in a heartbeat, but she can't. But she can change. And when she changes, he'll never judge her for where she's been. He'll judge her for what she's become. Don't you walk out of here with an ounce of shame in your life tonight. An ounce of condemnation. Turn your heart and say, God, I'm going to let you love me. I'm done repeating this stuff because I've weighed myself with a lower value. I'm done living up to the low value which I assessed myself. You believe I'm worthy of the blood. Teach me, Holy Spirit, to live up to that value and walk in your righteousness. Yeah? That's how you leave her. I don't have to have an order call. I don't have to lay hands on everybody all the time. Listen, it's for believers. I'm going to pray this right now. If you hurt yourself, if you're carrying the mark of yesterday's sin in your life, in your body, I'm telling you, it can leave you right now. And after it leaves you and you find out it leaves you and you have that doctor test you or check you or you find out it's all gone and resolved, you tell somebody. You be humble and you let them know. You know, there was a time in my life I this. But man, God's mercy and redemptive power because you can take that message then and start getting guilt off of people and condemnation off of people and shame off of people so that the righteous judgment of God can come upon men. Yeah? If you're a member of this church or you know this house, get a hold of pastor, call somebody and say, listen, I was there that night that man-man was ranting and going crazy. And, but the truth is I prayed when he prayed and I was serious and man, I don't have STD no more. You ought to see emails I get and phone calls I get and people that tell people that were in desolate places are watching YouTube and they hear the message and they're broken inside. And somebody needs to tell them, you're not that anymore. God is bigger than what you messed up in. And see, the more they believe they're a mess up, the more they keep messing up. Every addictive behavior in humanity is attached to a crushed esteem and a low value. Every addictive behavior. Because you don't see the value of who you are, so you live less than what you're created for, and you live up to the level in which you behold. There's not a man on the earth that would be bound to pornography if he knew who he was. It's not always a spirit of addiction. Stop blaming everything on the devil. It's identity. It's identity. If a man knew who he was, he'd have a good view of others, and he wouldn't be trapped. He wouldn't be exploiting and he wouldn't be feeding something that's supposed to be dead. If a man knew who he was, he would never be bound in pornography. They did a tragic survey a while back and said 50% of full-time ministers dabble in pornography. That's what I heard. I hope it ain't true. That's tragic. That means men are finding their identity through ministry, not Christ. 
And there's no help for their flesh. So they're drawn into the things that men are drawn into that don't know the Lord, even though they're preaching the Lord. Come on. It's just straight, man. Just not pulling no, that's straight. You can't live there when you see the value of who you are. So when you teach people who they really are, instead of condemning sin, and say, well, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, you should know better. No, they need to know who they are. Build the value of men up and their lives will change. It's the goodness of God that leads men to change. Teach people their potential and what they can be if they'll see through new eyes. If old things pass away and all things are made new, then when do we start preaching new? Come on, are you all with me? This is your altar call, man. It's not up here. It's right where you're sitting. Come on, you can't leave here and not hear what's being said. It's, it's, the, it's a corporate honor call, dude. We're nailing it, ain't we? Come on, you're either in or you're not. You're either like, whatever, or you're like, what? Just come on, man. Why would you leave? The same if it's not good. I'm going to pray right now. If you have anything in your life that's marking you from yesterday's mistakes, you thank God that He loves you and sees you apart from the mistake. Believe you're totally and completely forgiven. And believe that it is His will and good pleasure to give you the kingdom and make you clean. And I'm just going to pray for that redemption. I'm going to pray off guilt, condemnation, that no one can leave here and stay in the same manner they were unless it's righteousness. Are you in? Are you with me? You guys want Him? Yeah? You want to live Him? You want to make a mark in your sphere of influence? You want to stand before Him someday and know that you have treasures laid up in heaven? That you actually have a legacy written? That your life actually affected somebody for the good? That actually somebody knew the Lord because you knew the Lord? Yeah. Or do you just want to get by? You just want circumstances to line up. You just want God to provide and keep you safe. No. Or do you want to shine? Yeah. Come on. If you're not born again, when I pray, just say, God, would you save me? I believe the blood of Jesus. I want you to forgive me of everything I've ever done. Be real with it. Be real with it. Get born again. Right now when we pray, if you've never been born again, stand up for me quick. Stand up for me. If you get born again when I pray and you tell the Lord you want to get born again, come and see him or see Pastor Scott right here. Big red beard, you can't miss him. Big red, come, come to Big Red. These guys are gentle, man. They will knock the sin out of your life. No. <laughs> How's the pastor say it? And he gets the people offended. He'll love the hell out of you. They'll love the hell out of you. <laughs> I didn't just swear. <laughs> Heard a pastor say that one time, and I was like, I don't know if we should be saying that in church. No, I just said it. Bummer. It's probably on tape. Ah, back that up if you love me. Strike that, man, or I'll get so many emails, it's ridiculous. You all ready? Seriously, if you don't know Jesus, man, why not? Come on. Why would you live your life the same? When he sat in the womb of a woman for nine months and gave his life to get his life on the inside of you, why wouldn't you receive it? Come on, die to you and live to him tonight. Ask Jesus to save you when we pray. Then come up to one of these men and say, hey, I prayed that prayer to get saved. Can you guys pray with me and walk me through some things or whatever? And they can, and they can talk to you about getting water baptized. These guys are cool. They'll hold you under like I do till every bubble stops.
He said, you guys sprinkle or immerse? Drowned. <laughs> You're supposed to die, man. Come on, where's your faith? You hold them under. 40 seconds after the last convulsion, you got them. It's just everything goes dead, and after 40 seconds, you get an elder to time it, you bring them up. <gasps> New life through Jesus Christ. And if you don't get the, <gasps> we know where they went. So it's all good. It's all good. The key is they got to die. They're not praying to get into heaven. They're getting heaven into them. Y'all ready? I held you way late, way long enough, way later than I anticipated. Father, I thank you for the move of your grace all over this room. Father, every person that's carrying the mark of yesterday's mistakes and sin, I thank you there's no condemnation in this room. Come on, thank God he loves you and forgives you completely. Don't cry the wrong tears. You cried those tears long enough. Don't cry the wrong tears. You're not ashamed. You're not guilty. Stop regretting. Not one person. I don't want one tear of regret shed in this room. Go to God right now. Father, thank you for loving me, forgiving me, and washing me. Thank you. I'm not regretting anymore. I'm receiving your love, your redemption, your justification, your mercy that triumphs over judgment. Man, you did not come to condemn me. You came to save me and set me free. I speak to every blood disease, every disorder, every damage to an organ, damage to the mind, any damage to the skin, any scars, any damage to memory from just getting high, getting, getting just OD and just getting blasted with alcohol, any memory loss, God, any function of the brain. I speak to organs in the name of Jesus Christ be redeemed in this room. Every blood disease leave the room in the authority of Jesus' name through the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for healing all through this house. Father, save and heal and set free and make whole in this room. Father, I thank you that not one person can hold on to condemnation, guilt, or shame. Your love is too great tonight. Your word is so clear. You are pursuing them. You love them. You're not mad at them. Stop believing he could be possibly disappointed when while you were yet a sinner, he sent his son. He loves you. Let him love you tonight. Father, I ask your love would ravage the heart of every person. I ask that you bring strength to homes and marriages. I ask, Lord God, that you would heal relationships. Wow. Father-daughter, father-son, mother-daughter, mother-son stuff. I just pray that you begin to give wisdom and insight in this moment and pour grace upon us because we want to run well and we want to do your will. These pastors are not interested in doing church services. They want transformation of lives in the kingdom of God on the earth. So, Father, we're thanking you for a grace that makes that happen in this house and in our lives. And, Father, I ask for wisdom in them and wisdom in their leadership. And I ask that they would continue to run this race so worthy of a prize. Father, I pray and thank you that they'll never grow weary in well-doing. That they'll always see, see the goal, God. I thank you, Lord, that there's no days of blurred vision. But God, they always see the goal. And I thank you, Lord, that you surround them with people of like heart and like faith that run well together. That this house would walk in the unity of faith. Raise up the body of Christ in this region. And just cause people to be hungry for you. We ask it in Jesus' name, Father. And however you want to live through us, love through us, and shine through us, we say yes. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I think I'm just going to sit down. Or I'll probably make a mistake and keep going.
I'm going to let pastor close out whatever he believes. I just feel, I don't feel done, but I feel like I should finish. <laughs> Bless you. Love you guys.